Amen. What great things the child of God has to look forward to. Amen. The worst situations we go through in life, serving God, I feel, from my experience, is better than the best times I had without God. The best times I had without God were fun. They were fun. But uh, when the party was done and I laid my head down at night, the party truly was done. I mean, it was all gone. Now I can lay my head down at night in the worst situation and have peace and have joy. Praise God. Matthew seven, fifteen through 20. We're continuing our series on the New Covenant. Today we'll be talking about false prophets. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20 says this, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Now, that seems elementary, but uh, there's a lot packed into that. He continues in verse 18, A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Amen. <clears throat> so he's talking about false prophets, false teachers, ravening wolves. I found a... Uh, a guy's blog, he's, uh, and I, of course I didn't write the guy's name down, but what I'm about to quote is not from me. Uh, this guy is doing a blog on kind of the early history of Illinois, where this person is from. And uh, some excerpts of that, that blog kind of fit with what we're talking about today. He says this, As I look back into the first couple of decades, the 1820s and the 1830s, of our area's history, when pioneer families were arriving to build and live in isolated log cabins, I sometimes run across remarkable stories about certain wild animals that were always a threat. Wolves. There were also a few bears and panthers in those very early years, but not many. Most people never saw any of them, but everyone saw an occasional wolf or heard them howl in the night. One early pioneer, Ira Bridges, who settled in the southeast part of the McDonough County in 1825, Later told local historian Alexander McLean that, quote, In the pioneer days we were much pestered with wolves as they made havoc with our calves, pigs, and sheep, unquote. And that was true throughout most of Illinois until hunting eliminated wolves from our state by about 1860. The 1885 History of McDonough County mentions that ring hunts were often resorted to, during which everyone for miles around started for a common center, making all the noise possible. And when wolves were aroused and seen, they were shot. As the 1878 history of McDonough County points out, those hunts were frequent. And when Bushnell was laid out, for example, 
Uh, there was nothing on its proposed site but a large wolf pole erected where it could be seen by the parties engaging in the wolf hunts. He goes on. While the threat of wolves to smaller livestock was experienced by most families, those gray and black predators also tried to kill people from time to time. One of the most riveting stories of that kind involved local pioneer William McCandless. No candles. He later told what he had experienced in S.J. Clark, who summarized it for his 1878 history of McDonough County. One winter day, he took his wife and child with him in a sleigh and drove to Macomb to attend some business. And a little while before night, he started home. When just outside the town, a large black wolf sprang into his path. With his whip in hand, he endeavored to keep it off while urging his horses onward. It appeared to be the design of the wolf to seize the child, and while the father would receive the attacks of the animal, the mother would attempt to shield their child from its clutch. The enraged and hungry animal continued the attack for some miles until the house of Mr. Booth was reached, where Mr. McCandless drove in and his family remained there during the night. An attack by a single wolf was uncommon. Usually they worked as a pack pursuing a lone individual. The most vivid detailed account of a confirmation with wolves that I have ever run across appeared in the Carthage Republican during the late 1800s and was reprinted in the 1968 history of Hannock County. It was written by Dr. William Booz and was focused on Samuel Brown, a neighbor he knew well in Hancock Township just west of the McDonough County border. The wolf attack occurred in January 1834 as Brown was walking home alone after a visit to Carthage and Mr. Booz surely got this detailed story directly from him. He was a fast walker, but before he had reached a point six miles out, it was entirely dark, and he heard the howling of wolves from the dense timber on the left. He hoped to gain the cabin of Louis Rea a mile or, or more farther east. But within a half mile of the Rea cabin, a pack of, dozen, of a dozen or more wolves approached within a few rods, snapping and snarling. Rods used to be a measurement. The battle was soon on, the brutes jumping at him and tearing his clothes. A sleeve was torn from his jeans coat, and he was badly wounded in one leg. Beating the wolves back as best he could, he pressed onward, calling as he ran, for he hoped Louis Rayo might be about his chores and hear him. The wolves finally divided their number, and a few went on ahead to attack him from the front. Again he sent out his voice into the night and swung his club around upon the pack. He knocked several down, but was himself seized by both legs and thrown to the ground his buckskin trousers saving him from serious injury. Just as he felt that death was his portion, he heard the report of three rifles and one big wolf fell dead across his body, with others falling nearby, and he knew that rescue had come. Brown was taken to the ray cabin where his wounds were attended to, and, and he was then driven home on in an ox cart. His story of a near-death experience makes us wonder how many early settlers actually did perish in a wolf attack, and their deaths was unrecorded. In any case, Frontier, Illinois was no place for a solitary traveler, especially after dark. Amen. So, <clears throat> not so much of a big deal today. We might see a, a, a wolf rarely or hear one. Uh, but by and large, they're not too much of a threat around here. Wolves, however, in their environment, are a terrible threat. They are very dangerous. And so are false prophets, so are false teachers, of which Jesus refers to them as ravening wolves. Now these come in two flavors. <coughs> deceivers, false teachers who are, who are teaching false doctrine. Uh, 
These are ones, and, and I haven't really encountered, I don't know if I've really encountered any of these, those that purposefully deceive others under the pretense of truth. Those who know they're lying, uh, but they're doing it for a reason. Of truth, they can say they either know it isn't true, or they don't care that it's true or not. Uh, they really have no desire to, to speak the truth. They have another agenda of some kind, uh, whether it's building a kingdom to their own, or whether it's scattering the flock of God, uh, whatever it is. Uh, but truth is not their, uh, not their desire, not their focus. They're charlatans, frauds, deceivers, liars. The other kind are pretenders. Teachers who, although they may be teaching correct doctrine, they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. They have no power. They have no authority with God. They have no commission from Him. They have no anointing. They've received no word from Him. They're possibly deceived themselves. They believe, though, that they're teaching truth. They believe they have truth. They believe that they've heard from God. But they haven't. I gave an example earlier of a pastor who believes with all of his heart that homosexual and lesbian lifestyles, they're blessed by God. And he preaches it and he teaches it as if it's from the Bible. But it's not from the Bible. The end result of both is the same. Destruction. Death. Sheep's clothing. <clears throat> the traditional garb of the prophet was plain, coarse sheepskin clothing. That was what the prophet wore. If you wanted to pretend to be a prophet, all you'd have to do is dress like one. Today, many succeed in appearing to people as the man of God, but he is a fake. One whose likeness only goes skin deep. And we can see examples of that. Your typical televangelist uh, perhaps comes to mind. Um, <clears throat> people who sound and look good. People who have built huge churches. Uh, Joel Olstein comes to mind. Um, he's, uh, and he's one of many. He's just kind of a very popular one today. He has, they have no real idea of doctrine. They're not really set on scripture. Uh, they'll just kind of go with the flow. Whatever is going to build a big church. Uh, I've heard some people, when they start a church, they'll go out to the community and they'll ask them, what are you looking for in a church? What are you looking for? And uh, whatever the answers come back, that's their doctrine. That's what they're going to provide. And, I mean, that that's good if you're starting a club or uh, something along those lines, but if you're starting a church, we already know what belongs in a church. We already know what doctrine ought to be preached. The Bible. Scripture. Outside, they all look alike, but when the heart, when the motives are examined, they are exposed as false prophets. 
And they can seem harmless at first blush, even helpful, but they're not. And as we go through this lesson, I'm probably going to sound harsher and harsher on people who preach and teach false doctrine. But please understand the result of it. It's like when we preach and teach against sin. We ought to hate sin in our lives. We ought to hate sin in other people's lives, not the sinner. Okay, We understand that. The people, we love people. Jesus loves people. But he hates the sin in people's lives. That's why he died on a cross, is to take away those sins. He wants them gone. He doesn't want us to be living and wallowing in sin. He died for just that reason, so that we wouldn't have to live and wallow in sin. And so when we talk about false teachers and false prophets, understand that the, the, even the little bit of false doctrine that is in their message is dangerous. It's poison. And I can't stress enough how important it is to understand Scripture, to know Scripture, to be comfortable with truth. Because if you don't know Scripture, and someone comes along and twists it just a little bit, that's what Satan did to Jesus. When he was tempted 40 days in the wilderness, he came to him and he used good Scripture. But he twisted it just a little bit. And if you read it and you don't know Scripture, that sounds, that sounds right. That sounds pretty good. Obviously, Jesus knew Scripture. He's the one that authored the Scripture. So he was able to combat his false doctrine with good doctrine. And that's what we need to do. That's what we need to be able to do. When someone comes, when we hear something on the radio, we, we, we read a book. Nothing wrong with listening to preachers on the radio. Nothing wrong with reading a good Christian book. But understand, they're not 100% true. Okay? Even, <laughs> one guy said, even the commentary in your Bible. That's not inspired. The Bible is inspired, but the notes underneath are not. Okay, so all of the all of the Bible helps, the the, the commentaries, the the concordances, none of those are inspired. The Bible is inspired. The Bible is true altogether. And so if anything contradicts scripture in any way, it's not right. It's not right. It's error. It's wrong. And if we allow ourselves to buy into just a little bit, I've used this analogy before, I'll probably use it again, rat poison. It's 99.99999% good food. But it's the point zero 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 one percent poison that will kill you. Satan doesn't need to throw much poison into a lot of good food to kill you. All he needs is a little bit. And then it's a little bit more. And a little bit more. And before you realize, you're off in hoo-hoo land. Lord knows what you're, you're believing or, or preaching and teaching. But it has nothing to do with truth. I've seen it happen. Some of you have seen it happen. 
That's why this is so important to grasp, how important truth is, how important it is to know truth and to, to love it, to give yourselves to it. And we need to hate error. We need to hate it because of what it can do to us, what it can do to our families, what it can do to a church body. Most denominational uh, churches, I would, I would put into this category. I don't hate the churches. I don't hate the people in those churches. I was delivered from one of those churches. But I hate their doctrine. I hate it because it's not true. When they preach you don't need the Holy Ghost, I can't help but hate that. You need the Holy Ghost. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins. You need to repent of your sins. Someone preaches anything else, that's wrong. That's error. We don't have the authority to preach anything but this. God hasn't given us the authority to, to just mix it up and preach what we feel for the week and, and, and what we heard over here and what science is saying and what the news is saying. We don't have the authority to preach any of that. We have the authority to preach Scripture. That's what we have the authority to preach and teach. And anything outside of that, well, it better match up. It had better match up to this book or it's out. It's wrong. We have nothing to do with it. The ecumenical movement. If you don't know what that is, it's, it's a movement that's saying, well, let's throw out everything that, that we disagree on and let's just come together and, and worship Jesus. We can agree on that. Well, the problem, I mean, that sounds good, right? That sounds pretty good. Yeah, I want to belong. Yeah, I don't want to argue and fight all the time. Yeah, let's do that. But the problem is, we're throwing out all the all truth. We're throwing out doctrine. I can't throw that out. I can't give this up. Because this is what's going to save me. This is what God gave to us. Yeah, we need to worship Jesus. Absolutely. But there's a whole lot more to living for God than worshiping Jesus. I don't know how that sounds, but it's true. If all I do is worship Jesus, I'm not going to make it. I need to worship Jesus. But I need to do more as well. Wolves, animals who devour sheep and scatter flocks. We're sheep. We are the flock of God. The wolf's desire is to kill you and scatter this flock. The only purpose the false prophet serves, whether he knows it or not, is to do harm to you and to the church of God. That's it. No matter how gentle and helpful they seem, realize their true nature. They feed on sheep. They feed on sheep. And that is how we need to look at it. 
They may look very benign, very, very unassuming. And their words may sound good. They may be good people, as far as that goes scripturally. Nice people. There are no good people. They may be nice people. And they may give you some good words of encouragement or good counsel from time to time. But their doctrine, what is their doctrine? What is their stance on truth? Do they believe the Bible is inspired, inerrant, infallible? Or do they believe it's just another religious book? There are Christians standing behind pulpits this morning. There are people teaching in in seminaries today who do not believe Scripture is inspired. They don't believe it. And they're teaching pastors how to pastor a church. That's the world we live in today. There is no love for truth. Not out in the world. In fact, the world hates truth. The world despises truth. And the farther you are away from it, the better you're going to be with the world. I want to stay as close to truth as possible. I want to be right in the middle of it. Truth is what's going to save you. Truth is what's going to deliver you, heal you, provide for you. That's what truth does. We don't need to forsake truth. We need to grasp it all the tighter. We need to love it all the more. And when false doctrine does come, and it will come, and i got to say this too, you need to be checking what I'm preaching. I'm not above false succumbing to error. I'm not. You need to be checking that what I'm saying is in the book. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Check what I'm preaching. Because if I start going hoo-hoo, you can't keep me up here. you got to kick me to the curb. Well, you know what, I'm, you know what I mean when I say that. <laughs> don't, don't kick me to the curb. Uh, love me. Try to restore me. But, but I can't stay here. You gotta, you gotta have someone here preaching truth. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Wolves feed on sheep. And we need to look at it that way. This illustration that Jesus gives us reveals just how strongly he feels about this. He compares the false teacher to ravening, bloodthirsty wolves. Jesus feels very strongly about this. Do not let error into your congregation. Do not let error into your families. Do not let error into your personal life. Don't do it. Don't entertain it. Don't play with it. Treat it like sin. Because it will lead you in the exact same direction. Wolves are deadly. Wolves are hungry. They're cunning. They're purposeful. If you look at the 
the illustration here. The the guy's blog. I thought it was really fascinating when he said that the wolves divided themselves and went around front. I've heard that before. The pack tactics are extremely intelligent. They use tactics in their fights against uh, prey. They will flank. They will come around and, and, and cut people off or cut their prey off. They will do these kinds of things. They're very intelligent in their hunting. False prophets are the same. False teachers are the same. If they're purposeful, they know what they're doing. They don't come right out and tell you, yeah, this whole thing is, is hogwash. You just need to follow Buddha. They don't come right out and say stuff like that. <clears throat> They'll come out and say almost perfect truth with just a little twist, just a little bit of error. It's palatable. Something we can get down. The Bible instructs us to try them. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. That's good advice. Don't take everything at, at, at its face value. Including me. Prove it. Check it out. Make sure it's in the book. The book is proved. First John 4.1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So he's instructing the church out of love and out of concern for their safety. Don't believe everybody that, that comes and t tells you something. Try them. Try the spirits, whether they are of God or no. Not everyone that comes is sent of God. Even if they say they are. You've heard all of these, uh, <laughs> these quotes on the internet. One of my favorites is, it's a quote, in quotes, don't believe everything you read on the internet. And then the quote is from uh, George Washington. <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably wasn't George Washington, right? <laughs> but uh, anyway, just because someone says something is true doesn't mean it is. Just because someone says they're someone doesn't mean they are. There's this thing in uh, cybersecurity called social engineering. Has anybody ever heard of that? I know you have. <laughs> well, anyway, social engineering is uh, when someone comes into a place of business and they pretend to be someone, like a, a, a worker. They pretend that they're there to fix your computer system, or they're there to fix an electrical bug or something. And so uh, you talk to an employee, they don't know anything about it, so they direct you back to someone else. 
In any case, what they're trying to do is get information. Ultimately, what they want to do is get into a computer system, get a password, get a, uh, an email, anything. <clears throat> so they can get into your system. And once they have access to your system, they're going to lock you out and give themselves a back door. So they have access to everything. My point is this. <laughs> is this really an electrician? I don't know. He says he is. He's dressed like one. He's got a tool bag. But he's not. He's not an electrician. He's not here to help me. He's not here to fix my problem. He's here to create a problem. And that's what false teachers do. They pretend to be someone they're not. They gain your trust. You start listening to them, and they get access. They get a back door into your life, into your belief system. Try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. John experienced it even in his life. This isn't anything new. Now, you might be able to, but I cannot always distinguish a tree by their barks and leaves. A few of them I can. I can tell a, a, a pine tree from a, a maple tree. Okay, I, I got that. I can tell those leaves apart. But what I can tell is the difference between their fruit. I have no problem with that. When I see walnuts on this tree and plums on this tree, well, I know the trees are different now. I know which one's a walnut tree and which one's a plum tree. But I, I probably couldn't tell you before that. But we can tell people by their fruit. We may not always be able to discern their intentions by the way they look or the way they sound or what they say they are. But after a period of time, you can go against your nature for a period of time. If I try, if I purpose in my heart, I can be someone else for a little bit. I can give myself a different personality. I can give myself a different look, different mannerisms. If I practice it and practice it, and but eventually... Something's going to happen, probably a high-stress situation, and I'm going to revert to type, right? I can pretend to be this bubbly, extroverted, charismatic guy. I, I can say the right words. I mean, I, I've studied enough of people. I, I could probably fake it for a while, but only for a while. Because for me, that would be very draining. <clears throat> I couldn't do that full-time. Uh, people can do that. People can pretend to be nice and, and helpful and uh, whatever they need to be for you. But they can only do it for a period of time. Eventually, they're going to start producing true fruit. They will. And that's what we're looking for. There was a movement a while ago 
In the 1800s, uh, everything was kind of character-based. You would come, you would, uh, you'd have to get references from people if you were talking to someone you didn't know. If you were going to be introduced to someone, if you're going to meet someone you didn't know, you'd want someone to come along who knew the person to introduce you to them, kind of set things up, because they know your character. They know about you, who you are. And that was the way things were. People cared about uh, telling the truth. My word is my bond. And when people called you a liar, that was a big deal. That was a suiting offense in some areas of the country. You just don't do that. Because character mattered. But then, in the, the 20s and 30s, there was a huge social shift. People started moving into the cities off the farms, and no one knew anybody anymore. Now it was, it was starting to become personality-based. Personality-based, not character-based. Can I make a good first impression? Can I... Can I impress someone? Can I, can I demonstrate in a very short period of time that I'm someone you can trust? Without the benefit of years of experience, years of being proved. And that's where we're at. The Bible is still very much character-based. Character-based. God wants to build into our lives strong characters. He's not so concerned about a winning personality. Although it's probably helpful in and of itself. I'm not saying don't have a winning personality. But what I'm saying is, what God is concerned with is character. Fruit of the Spirit. How are you over the long haul? I can have a winning personality. I can make a good first impression. Most of us can. We know how to do that. But that doesn't mean I'm a good person. It doesn't. I could be a sociopath. They make excellent first impressions. I'm telling you. They'll impress the, the socks right off of you. But they're not good people. So we're testing character. We're interested in people's characters. Not their personality. Your fruit will expose you for who you truly are. Teachers will be tried in two different ways. The fruit they produce themselves. What's coming out of their lives. How do they respond to stress and trial? How do they act when no one else is around? The fruit that they produce... From their own lives. That's, what, that's one thing we're looking at. Their personal fruit. <clears throat> the other is the fruit of their doctrine. Does their doctrine line up with God's Word? First and foremost, if it doesn't, we don't need to go any farther. Does their doctrine inspire holiness, godliness, love, the fruit of the Spirit? Does their doctrine inspire me to draw closer to God? Scripturally speaking, I'm not talking about closer to God in, in, in worship or closer to God in uh, 
anything else other than Scripture? Am I producing more of Jesus in my life or less? Or does their doctrine inspire pride, materialism, selfishness, hatred, division, worldliness? Am I drawing closer to God or am I moving farther away from God? Now, I ask some people this. And they almost always say, well, I'm, I'm drawn closer to God. I can feel Him. When I'm in a worship service, I, I get blessed. The very first church service that I came to, I was a rank sinner. I felt the presence of God very powerfully. So please don't tell me just because you feel the presence of God, you're, you're okay. That's not true. I'm glad you feel the presence of God. We need to feel the presence of God. But that doesn't, that's, that's not indicative of, of who I am as a person. I could be a mass murderer and feel the presence of God. I could be a child rapist and feel the presence of God. It doesn't mean I'm saved. It doesn't mean I'm right with God. When I worship God, I, I get blessed. That's probably true. That's what we ought to expect. But again, I worshiped God before I got the Holy Ghost, before I was baptized, and I felt God. I got blessed. Didn't mean I was saved. Thank God that in His mercy, He allows us to feel those things. But that doesn't mean we're saved. That doesn't mean we're right with Him. If we have adhered to Scripture, to truth... Now we know for certain whether or not we're right with Him. Have I repented of my sins? Have I been baptized in Jesus' name? Have I been filled with the Holy Ghost? Evidence by speaking in other tongues. Have I taken care of these things? Am I living a holy life before Him? Am I doing the things that please Him? Am I trying to grow in my knowledge of Scripture? Am I praying? Am I building a relationship with Him? These things are indicative of something. That I love truth, that I love God, that I want a, a relationship with Him. If I'm not doing those things, if I read it in Scripture, and I acknowledge the truth of it, and I decide not to, what is that saying? That says something as well. Maybe it's I don't believe it's true. Maybe it's I don't believe it's true for me. Maybe it's something else. Nevertheless, the doctrine that we adhere to has to be true. There is no power in lies. There is no power in uh, error. There is no authority in error. The power and the authority comes in truth. Jesus came not to help us repress our old natures, but to transform us and to give us new natures. If we have bad fruit coming out of our lives, and I did, and some of you did, all of us did at some point, before we came to the Lord, but we didn't have to stay there. We didn't have to keep producing bad fruit. 
Jesus didn't come so that we could, by force of will and, and strength and, and, and dedication and discipline, stop doing the, those things. Oh, I really want to, but no, I can't. Oh, I really want No, no, no. Jesus would be disappointed. We don't have to live like that. We can be completely free of it. The desire can be gone from wanting to do those things, from living that lifestyle. Our desire is over here now, serving the Lord Jesus Christ and doing those things that please Him. That's where our desires are now. And we didn't start there. We weren't born there. But Jesus transformed us, and He made us new creatures in Him. And now we can live that way naturally. Now we understand there's, there's this war going on between us. The old nature is still there. We're still fighting that. But in our new nature, our regenerated nature, our desires are to, to Jesus Christ now. That's our natural bent. That's our, our go-to desires, is to serve and to please Jesus Christ. Our old nature is still over here. And we're fighting that. But God transforms us. He regenerates us. He resurrects our dead spirits and makes us alive again unto Him. So we don't have to fight and resist and, and have that... Des- it's like... <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go here. Anyone ever have athlete's foot? Not fun. You get this burning itch, right? And it's very uncomfortable. I think of sin like that. The desires that my old nature has toward those awful things, it's like this burning itch sometimes. It's very uncomfortable. And I want to scratch it, and I want to... But if I scratch it, I just do more damage. It just ends up more inflamed. And it ends up itching even more. And it, things start splitting and, and, bleh. Yeah. Anyway, enough of that. Anyway, that's what sin does. If I itch it, it just gets worse. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never satisfy that desire. It never goes away just because, well, I'll just do it one time and then, then I'll have strength to overcome. You'll never have strength to overcome. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Because that's what sin does. And that's what error does. If you're not careful, you get a little taste of that. That sounds pretty good. I don't want to have to have the Holy Ghost. I don't want to have to live holy all the time. I don't want to have to do all of these things. And so now I don't have to. But see, the problem is, there's no power in that. There's no authority in that. And what it, not only that, that's the best thing I can say about it. Not only that, it leads me farther away from God. It leads me farther away from a relationship with Him and His truth. And it leads me into error, which leads me into sin. And then I'm back in the same boat again. Error is dangerous. It's dangerous. And that sounds closed-minded. I know. I don't care. It's true. There is an objective truth. There is an objective external truth in this reality, and this is it. It's true whether we know it or not. It's true whether I've even read it or not. It was true 
20 years before I was born. It doesn't need me to acknowledge its truth. Yeah, yeah, you're true. Okay, good. Now I'm true. It doesn't need that. It doesn't need your acknowledgement either. It's true regardless. And so, let me say it this way. Jesus created everything by what? Spoken word. What is this? His written word. The two are exactly the same. They're the same. So if He created everything with His word, shouldn't His word line up with reality? It should comport with reality, right? Good news. It does. It does comport with reality. In every conceivable way. It messes perfectly. So when we follow it wholly, we don't leave anything out. The reality is that all of these, these things in the book are going to come true in my life. Okay? This is reality. This is where reality came from. The Word of God. And so when I follow the Word of God, everything works properly. To say it another way, when I go off and do my own thing, when I listen to Joe Shavo over here, who says I don't need the Holy Ghost, things start to unravel. Reality doesn't work the way it should now. Okay? Reality is designed to work with the Word of God. <clears throat> we were designed to work with the Word of God. We were created that way. We were created to serve Jesus Christ. We were created to worship Him, to have fellowship with Him. When we get away from that, we try to do something that we weren't created for, things break down. In our bodies, our personal lives, our relationships, our jobs, they break down. The farther we stray from this, the more quickly it's going to happen. The end result of false teaching, God will cut down the life and works of the false teacher and cast it into the fire. And this is a warning for all of us who teach Bible studies, who witness to people, the Word of God. We are responsible for what we say. We are responsible before God for what we preach and teach. And that's a heavy responsibility. Having responsibility for someone's eternity is a very weighty thing. I can't stress that enough. When we're, when we're speaking to someone, we're witnessing to them, we're telling them our testimony, we're teaching them a Bible study. I mean, that's an awesome thing, and that you're in the perfect will of God doing that. But please understand, every word that comes out of our mouths, we're responsible for. Because 
The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words matter. Words are very powerful. Especially, especially when someone's in these crucial moments in their lives. You can say one word and you can just infuse them with life. Or you can say another word and completely crush them. Words are powerful. They matter. And so when we're ministering to someone, when we're teaching a Bible study, ministering to someone's need, we got to realize that every word we say is going to have an impact in their lives. Every word matters. So what we preach, what we teach, it's important. It's important for us to understand truth. Because if we're preaching and teaching something to someone and it ain't true, now there's a problem. And we've all heard people come behind this pulpit, a pulpit, and say some weird things. And you're like, um, I don't know about that. Some things preach real good, but they're just not true. And I don't care how well they preach. If it ain't true, it has no business being spoken behind a pulpit, behind a Bible study chart, behind a plate of food, speaking to someone else. It's got to be true. It's got to be right scripturally. Because when it is, it brings life, it brings strength, it brings deliverance, it brings salvation. When it's not true, the best you can hope for is they're real impressed with your knowledge. When I first started teaching Bible studies, I liked hearing that. Boy, you know so much. Boy, you blah, 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 blah. <laughs> then the Lord came in and he fixed that for me because <laughs> then I got a few Bible studies I didn't know any of the answers I didn't know nothing what they were saying or asking and now thank God I couldn't care less what they think of me personally I'm preaching truth and between them and God, they can figure out the rest. Amen. It doesn't matter what people think of us, good, bad, or indifferent. I want them to see Jesus. I want them to hear Him. The false teacher's legacy, their life, their work will become a ruin. Now you look at someone like Joel Olstein. Some of us wouldn't mind a ruined life like that, huh? Yeah, he's doing okay. Don't don't worry about Joel. He's 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 going to make it. He's going to do okay. But at some point, I promise you, maybe in his personal life already. I don't know Mr. Olstein. 
I know what he preaches. It's wrong. But, uh, and others like him, not just him. There will be an accounting for what they've preached and what they taught. The lives that they ruined by leading people into false doctrine. God will move against the man that says he speaks for Jesus and does not. God will move against the man that moves against his people. Believe that. Someone comes after his people, his children, that will get his attention. As much as possible, I have made it my life's mission to stand between the enemy and the people of God. I see that as is one of my privileges, standing behind this pulpit. I take the hits. But, I'm just a man. I'm just a guy. The one that fights for us is the one that's going to take all the hits. The one that fights for us is the one that's going to deliver us and give us victory over whatever it is this church faces. It won't be me. It won't be you. Not even Brother Parker. It'll be God. It'll be God through us. Working in us. Amen. Conclusion. How to deal with wolves. We've got to understand their nature and their tactics. That they are bloodthirsty and ravenous. That they are out to eat and to kill. They hunt in packs and they're very cunning. They come out at night. So stay in the light. Stay in the light. Hunt them down and destroy them. It's okay to beat them off when they attack, but in my mind it's even better to hunt them down. I'm not talking about people, of course. I'm talking about the spirits behind the people. The spirit of false doctrine, the spirit of error, the spirit of lying. We can, we are commissioned to hunt them down and destroy them. We need to know how to tell a false prophet from the real. We need to be able to try the spirits. We need to know sound doctrine. So that when error does come, we recognize it for what it is. And we throw it out, we deal with it, however the situation warrants. But we recognize it for what it is. What you just said, sir, ma'am, is wrong. That doesn't line up with Scripture. And it's okay to say that. When it comes to truth, I can probably be a little bit brutal. I will do my best to make it palatable, but I will be direct. That is not correct, sir. That is not correct, ma'am. The Bible says this. We need to be able to do that. We need to be sensitive to the, the voice of God. We need to be sensitive to spirits. 
and to be able to discern them. That is something that God has given us to do. He's commanded us. Try the spirits, he said. Amen. So when false doctrine comes, and it will come, we're ready. We can recognize it. It's not going to be a big shock, big surprise. Here it comes. We know how to deal with it. Amen. Stick to truth. Buy it and sell it not. Praise God. It will deliver. It will save. It will restore. This is what God gave us. No more, no less. Amen. We'll stick to that. Let's all stand.